0: Everything.
1: Welcome everybody to another episode of Transregret Snoopy presents the Bible. I have a very special guest with me today, uh, here to discuss Matthew 19 verses 1 through 12 and uh, marriage and singleness for the sake of the kingdom. Is Peter Volk? Welcome, Peter.
0: Hey, glad to be here. Thanks for having me.
1: You um, you do some really interesting work uh, in in uh, faith and uh, advocacy for singleness, and um, you have worked with a lot of different churches and publications and uh, and your your work, at, I find to be a um, really different take on our calling from God as far as um, love and relationships go, and I want to get into all that, but before we talk about Equip and the work you do with them, um, why don't you tell folks a little bit about yourself and how faith plays a part in your life?
0: Sure. Um, yeah, I grew up uh, in, in the church in, in the Bible Belt, um, and you know, was was baptized at a young age, claimed that faith for my own uh, in, in middle school, um, but the rubber really kind of hit the road when I realized in middle school um, that that I was gay, and you know, was hit with all of these the pretty complicated questions about like, is there a God? If there is a god how do I know what's best for me uh, what if what that God says is best for me is different than what I what I think is best for me or what what I feel like is best for me or what I want to be best for me what do I do with all that what do I do with what do I do with the complexity that the world is not how it's supposed to be and so even if I, I knew what the good life was if I knew what the 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 way was to live that's that's best for me. It's still going to be messy and complicated. How do I roll with the punches of that? So, um, so that's been a big part of my story. Has been uh, well, first kind of living in the closet for many years. I then started to come out uh, to friends and family um, at at a time when when it was still really common for people to spend five years, ten years in the closet before coming out. I'm really grateful today that, that doesn't seem to be the case with with teenagers today, but it was the case for me. Um, and, and a lot of my story since then has been feeling a call to kind of help pastors and parents offer people like me in the pews today and outside of the church today who are in you know eight, nine, or ten years old um, help offer them what I didn't get from parents and pastors when I was eight, nine, or ten years old. And by that I mean offer God's like love and wisdom to particularly LGBT plus people, but also generally to like <laughs> all humans who are made for community and have the capacity for connection, and can do that in delightful, beautiful ways, and often also also can do that in ways that you know are painful and um, and muck uh, and things up. Um, so so yeah, and, and a lot of my work, my my story has a lot to do with. Making sense of that on a professional world and a personal level, uh, you know, I'm sure we'll get into it much longer, but, but we're, long story short, we're kind of regardless, you know, you know despite my sexual orientation, severally I felt like I was, I was having this uh, uh, journey, as long as journey with God to try to figure out what did he want me to do with my life, like relationship, like where was I going to find family, who are my people? And I started increasingly feeling clarity that God was calling me to this kind of singleness for the sake of the kingdom that we're going to, that Jesus really kind of brings out on the stage in the passage of Matthew 19 we're going to check out today. Um, And I also felt clarity that that did not mean a call to loneliness for the sake of the gospel. It still meant a call to human intimacy, family, in the context of brothers and sisters in Christ. And so that led me on a journey thanks to some, some support and advice from my pastor on actually helping start a, an intentional Christian community, like a modern monastery for men committed to lifetime singleness for the sake of the kingdom where we live and do family together um, as a like ace arrow polycule if you want to think of it that way. Um, and, uh, and it's like weird and delightful and, and so the, well, all those things are like a big part of my life. Um, I'm, I'm still a believer, um, and, and the place that fits for me best is kind of the Anglican churches in America. Um, not to say those are, it's a perfect place, or if it's with the or it's without complexity, but I would say I particularly feel called to my local church, Church of the Redeemer in Nashville, Tennessee, where there are dear people who have cared for me well over the years, um, where. My late pastor, who he died in a car accident uh, more than a year ago, or two years ago, Um, but uh, super influential in me, even just like holding on to my faith and sometimes doubt. Um, And it's also where my my godson and and his parents and a couple of families and kids that I'm particularly connected to, where they go to church. So that's home for me. And that's where I'm going to stick around.
1: That's awesome. That's awesome. What what do you think led you... um out of you said you were raised in in a more protestant sort of evangelical um background mm-hmm. and what led you then to anglicanism or a more catholic uh practice of your faith
0: yeah and this this will particularly are in the weeds and may feel particularly like what is this guy talking about to people who are not believers or uh, or aren't, like, uh, theology nerds. Um, but, <laughs> I mean, I think uh, I grew up in a context where everyone kind of believed the same thing. Everyone kind of had the same understanding of what the scriptures meant. So, when I heard growing up, like, when a when question was asked, what, what does this passage mean of scripture, about, about anything? The answer was, well... God wrote the scriptures so that it is self evident to a thinking person who believes in Jesus. And you know what? That was a sufficient explanation when I lived in a place where everyone had the same opinions. <laughs> <laughs> um, but when I got to college and I realized that the different people had different interpretations of scripture, the scriptures who love Jesus um, and who and it became a much more complicated question. How do I if I think the Bible is particularly the way? that God has chosen to reveal himself to us about his character and personality and plan and advice for us. How do I know what this thing means when they seem like there are multiple plausible interpretations? And for me, that led to a sort of kind of deconstruction crisis of faith um, because because I, I my first stop in that journey was a, a recognition that there is no way to avoid human interpretations. Mm. Like, there's no way to get just a direct line from God, and I know with clarity what he intended for these passages to mean to his first audience and to me today. There's no way. A human interpretation is unavoidable. So then, the question I'm left with is, and, and, and is if it's the Holy Spirit and the Scriptures and some human doing this work of interpreting, uh, which combo do I trust the most? You know, uh, which which human interpreter is most reliable? Not perfectly reliable, but, but more reliable than the others. If I'm going to default to something, right? And this is where my Catholic friends like to make the joke that it's either a, a pope in Rome or a pope in the mirror. <laughs> and by that they mean it, there's no way that you can't have a pope in your life. You might make the Pope the Pope, you might make yourself the Pope, you might make someone in between or some institution in between the Pope, but there's no way to involve, avoid a human interpreter who ends up being the final authority on your understanding of Scripture. So choose wisely, you know. So anyway, uh, so I didn't feel comfortable making myself the Pope, because I don't think I'm that smart. Uh, <laughs> and um, I also didn't feel the pope, the pope uh, for a variety of reasons that are not important to go into. Um, but as I was like looking at, you know, church history and what did it, you know when Christ uh, chose his disciples who became the apostles and when the apostles were leading the early church, you know, was there kind of a plan for like who I should trust in terms of human interpreters? And it's seemed actually pretty clear through Christian history, and this kind of was the unanimous understanding of believers uh, until the Protestant Reformation. That it was it, it, it's it's the, the pastors, the priests, who can kind of trace back their authority to the um, the apostles, you know, and, and there's actually a specific, it's not just all priests, it's specifically like those apostles pass down their authority. To, to interpret the scriptures, not perfectly, but better than most, um, to, to bishops. And, and the bishops in a lot of the oldest denominations today can connect the bishops in their churches all the way back to the apostles. So that is not saying, I think, that like just magically, the person becomes a bishop, gets the fancy hat and staff, and then all of a sudden they can interpret perfectly. It just means, I think, over a lifetime if i live my life according to the collective wisdom of those bishops interpretation instead of whatever i wish was the most convenient interpretation for myself um my is my life will turn out much better and my understanding of scripture will be much more accurate if i follow their collective wisdom than my own so that's a long one to do.
1: <laughs> no that's that's a great answer and, and it's a really interesting um view i think and and a, and a, and a solid one i think for anybody that has a catholic leanings uh of one that understanding that um scriptural interpretation is a a process that has been going on since the beginning of the church, right? Um, we, a, as long as we've had scripture, we've had people trying to make sense of what it's actually saying and what it actually means, and and obviously those interpretations change too because of uh, different translations and and uh, different folks bringing new information to light and even new bits of uh, codexes and manuscripts that have um, come to us in the last uh, last few centuries versus the first. 500 years of the Church. You know, there's a lot that can change, but uh, the solid kind of basis for interpretation and authority within Catholic orientations, Catholic versions of the Church seem to provide, I think, for a lot of people that, that need to feel that sort of stability and don't think of themselves as the Pope. It can be a really, really helpful uh, yeah. mechanism to to come to these understandings within ourselves— for um, not just what the book says, but um, what God is calling us to do. Right. So, it, since we're talking about different interpretations of Scripture, let's get into the let's get into the Bible. Let's um, yeah. let's talk about Matthew 19. Um, what is your preferred translation of the Bible?
0: Um, I don't know if I have a preferred. I know my church uses the NASB. Um, and that was kind of selected by my late pastor uh four or five years ago he moved away from the the ESV the uh, the extra spiritual version as some sure. it. <laughs> um and uh and but I, I don't really have a document hunt um so
1: it's fair enough i i um i'm going to talk about a few different uh a, t- a few different translations here uh, today, because I think this passage has been taken in a lot of different ways. And I even want to re- refer to the Greek a little bit, so that sure. we can maybe even better understand what um, what certain translations decide to do with this text, and uh, what it is that they are trying to get across. And I think that in you'll you will find in these different translations that uh, folks will will use this language in different ways to not necessarily serve their personal purposes but to communicate a message that they think is true to what jesus is trying to say so i'll start in the esv the extra spiritual version and uh and then uh, and then we'll bounce to i think the message and to david bentley hart's new testament translation today as well so
0: yeah, so just give, give, give me a couple of verses and then I'll pause and give everybody some context for what's going
1: on here. Let's go through three first because it'll help give us context to what's going on here and then into Jesus' answer four through, um, four through six. Uh, first one through three. Now when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away to Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him and he healed them there. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause?
0: All right, so yeah, pause there. Um, so a couple things people need to know, and uh, then this same story is told in different Gospels, in exactly different ways, but what's even more clear from some of the other uh, versions of the story is that there's kind of like, there's two different factions of Pharisees that have shown up um, and in response to Jesus' popularity are trying to trip him up. And so what they're doing is um, they're picking a controversial topic, divorce. And they're basically putting Jesus on the spot to answer a question about a controversial topic that, that like a popular figure does not want to answer in front of all the people. Because no matter what answer he gives, he makes enemies. Okay, it's a gotcha question. They know what they're doing. They give him a gotcha question. Um... And, and again, from kind of the, the deeper understanding of the, this context, these, at least two different camps of Pharisees are asking him this question. One has a slightly more progressive view on, the, on biblical grounds for divorce. The other has a more conservative view of biblical grounds for divorce. Um, but they both ultimately allow for um, kind of some, some fairly wide range um, justifications for divorce. Um so gotcha question from Pharisees about divorce. They've got opinions, but more importantly, they're either trying to force Jesus to make a fool of himself and become unpopular in front of the people, or trick him into speaking contrary to the law, boom, then we can, you know, throw Jesus in jail or something. Um, or you know, if they get lucky, they'll get him to both, they'll make him unpopular and they'll put him in jail. So that's what they're going for here. Um, even deeper context, we need to know is like, why did marriage matter so much to these people? Um, and this will particularly become helpful or relevant when we get to the very last verse or two of this passage about eunuchs. Um, so pre-Jesus Old Testament covenant between God and his people, he promises so much blessing and. And, and multiplication of land and resources and military success and all of these things, and he particularly promises to provide this through the multiplication um, and spreading and thriving of its people. And so it was understood that this this that there was this command in the in the, the beginning of, of the scriptures in Genesis to for every Jewish um, person to marry and procreate. For God's people to to faithfully marry and procreate, and but that was seen as so essential to you know that was like the delivery vehicle for from, to get the blessing from God for the people of Israel. Okay, so it was like seen as really important to do your duty and get married and have kids and don't mess up the covenant. Um, so again, this is pre Jesus, right? But like. Every faithful Jew was expected to marry and procreate, and to fail to do so was a source of social shame, of personal sense of failure, barrenness, uh, lack of doing their duty, um, and seen as perhaps even kind of um, 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 threatening or, or, or kind of adding a risk to this this covenant, this promise to the people of Israel that have all this blessing and all this success and all this stuff. Okay, okay. so. Um, so we're not just talking about you know, you know divorce and marriage in the context of like finding the one and running off into the sunset. We're talking about like this is the lifeline of their promise success for their people from the God is how they understood the importance of marriage, divorce, kids, all that kind of stuff. Okay. Go ahead. The next
1: one. Uh, yeah, no, and I just wanted to add one note and this is like yeah, another another. Another sign of theological debates that were going on at this time was, uh, or another indication of those was the discussion about the resurrection. We see uh, no. uh, differences between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and um, those groups of they were just groups of different, basically schools of thought within the Jews that um, that thought one thing or another thing about a particular topic. Christians do not have a monopoly on disagreeing about the, <laughs> about theological concepts. It goes way, way, way back. And so this is one of those cases where we're seeing something like that. And, and a devotion to marriage as the only path, marriage appropriate procreation is the only path didn't really stop when jesus said what he says here we see it continue in denominations within the christian church and to sort of christian adjacent groups like the mormons where it is an absolute necessity for you to be married for in order for you to receive god's full blessing and receive the full uh, scope of he- the heavenly uh, reward that you'll get
0: yeah, and as, as we'll, as we'll, yeah as we'll reveal you know jesus changed that right for 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 his followers will, will come after him, but you know, contemporary with Jesus saying these words for the first time, the plan was for everyone to marry and procreate, right? Like that was mm. that was the good, That was the only way.
1: Uh, okay, so I'll go into four and I'll read just Jesus's answer here. It says, "He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife.'" And the two shall become one flesh, so they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate.
0: Okay, so yeah, pause there. So, so Jesus, so they ask him the gotcha question. Jesus does a classic Jesus move, and he just repeats Scripture to them. Um, he points them back to some stuff in Genesis. You know, maybe he's trying to avoid the controversial conversation. Maybe he just knows that they've already got the answer. They know the answer to their question. He's, he's going to try to force them to answer their own question. Um, we're going to set aside whether or not Jesus is trying to make any comment on um, sex and gender and gender and human of that kind of stuff in this conversation. Um, but it does seem like God, Jesus is kind of like affirming the like sexual difference in Natural order of marriage, um, but more, much more importantly, to the conversation we're having here, um, Jesus is saying, "Listen, you got a divorce question? You know, I'm not going to answer that yet. Let me just remind you: in the beginning, God's plan was lifelong marriage. Period. Right? And and, and these were and these were. He's been questioned by an audience who." They want grounds for divorce. They want to avoid being trapped into lifelong marriage with someone for a variety of reasons that they don't want to be stuck with. Right. So Jesus is saying, "Okay, I know what you want me to tell you, but in the beginning, this is the plan from the beginning." Okay. All right. Keep going. <laughs> if, you, if you want to make some comments, feel free. You know. But yeah,
1: but. Uh... No, the only the only note that I had here um, specifically was that this phrase "one flesh" is not unique, mm-hmm. right, to this passage. We see it; it is used in the Old Testament and it's used elsewhere in the New Testament. And this idea of the joining between the the in, the joining of the married uh, couple, but also um, it is used in reference to like a a sexual bond, right, a sexual activity. Um, so, uh, okay, moving on to verse seven. Um, I'm going to go 7 through uh, seven through 9 here. Uh, this will be another question from the Pharisees, and then Jesus' answer again. They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery.
0: All right, so, uh, this is like big stuff going on here, Uh, (laughs) particularly for the first audience, right? So, okay, so Jesus says, you know, all right, remember what it said in Genesis, you know, really that should be enough. And they're like, well, Moses, you know, Moses is everybody's favorite. Um, you're not allowed to disagree with Moses. Um, and, the, well, Moses gave us some, you know, uh, accommodations, gave us some get out of jail free cards, gave us some circumstances under, circumstances under which it was okay to divorce. So, you know, with the kind of saying here, like, are you saved? And then, like, Pharisees looking to the crowd and winking and weaning a little bit too much comically, are you saying you disagree with Moses? You know, uh, super <laughs> cheating. Um, and then Jesus is like, "Uh, "Yeah, Uh, he 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 gave y'all what you wanted because y'all are a bunch of stubborn fools." Um, is basically what Jesus said back. Like (laughs) Moses didn't give us allowances because something had changed about God's wisdom or God's best for us. God saw that you kept on complaining about His wisdom. And said, Alright, Moses, give them what they want. It's not gonna be good for them, but give them what they want. They want some divorce, give them some divorce. So, because their parts were hard. It's not saying that, like, like, you know, okay, God's like, okay, if you ask, since you asked enough, I'll change the rules so that it's just as good for you to get divorced. It, 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 it's saying, like, God basically said, fine, do what you want. You you made your own bed go again. Um, and then Jesus follows it up, and he says, "So let me let me reiterate. Let me make it even more clear what God's first intentions were. Um, that except in the case of pornea, here okay, we have this complicated little exception clause here. that We'll talk about in a second. Um, there's no grounds for divorce, and um, and you know, sex outside of." Earth. <laughs> If, if you, you know, don't, if you, if there's no grounds for divorce, then any attempt to divorce and remarry, quote unquote, is really just cheating on your first pass. It's adultery, right? Because he's saying marriage is, it's really, really lifetime. It's really, really lifetime. Um, like both of the Pharisee, both of the competing groups that were trying to kind of pose this gotcha question to him, compared to this standard, Jesus is bringing them back to they are both more progressive. So Jesus is not, like, picking the more progressive camp. He's not threading a needle between the two, the, the two camps of, of religious leaders. He's saying, you're both wrong. You're both too loose on this. You both need to get back to what God was originally teaching about this. And it's hurting the people because you've allowed them to be misled. Um, now this exception clause, this except for in the case of some places say sexual morality. I think the Greek word is pornéia or something like that. So much complexity, or uh, it's not actually that complex in my opinion, but uh, it's become complex because because um, uh, straight people want excuses uh, to to have fun. Um, in my opinion, uh, there is lots of places elsewhere in the gospel, and in the Gospels, um, and then also in Paul's letters that that, that clarify in other places that there are no grounds for biblical divorce and remarriage. And so, one way some people have wanted to translate this exception clause is to say, um, you cannot get divorced and remarried unless your spouse cheats on you. And then it's their aim to divorce and remarry. That's what Jesus is saying, right? Um, that contradicts, like, six or seven other places in the Scriptures. <laughs> so that translation doesn't make any sense. What translation of this pornea does make sense um, with the rest of Scripture? What, what would be, if we, if, we, if we thought that this was all trying to be consistent, what would make sense? A couple different options. One is that this, what this is referring to is saying that, um... When there is um, unfaithfulness, when someone commits adultery, when your when your spouse cheats on you, that is grounds for separation, but not divorce and remarriage. So what he's saying is, if your spouse is um, like grossly um, uh, negligent, physically abusive, commits adultery against you in an unrepentant way. Like you don't have to keep on living in the same house with them and do the whole marriage thing in the fullest way. You can separate from them, and you are not being unfaithful to the marriage by separating and making that distance. Okay. But it's not saying you're divorced in the eyes of God. It's not saying you're divorced and therefore can remarry. Um, another way that you could translate this that would like be consistent with the rest of Scripture is that, it's, is that Pernia is specifically referring to a couple of um, exceptions that would, that would make, that would have actually made the marriage invalid from the beginning, which is that you got married under false pretenses, that before, after the marriage ceremony, but before the physical consummation, you cheat on your spouse. Um, it's revealed that your spouse is actually a sibling um, or a close relative, that you either knew or didn't know about that, but as a result of the marriage is invalid, or there, this case kind of in the scriptures um, of like someone essentially like marrying um, a, a sexual slave, and the sexual slave never con- con- consented to the marriage, so it wasn't a valid marriage. So again, we're getting way right in the weeds here and <laughs> argue on end about this. Let's all to say that like the oldest understanding of this exception clause. I would argue the most consistent understanding of this exception clause with the rest of Scripture is Jesus is really saying there is almost no grounds for biblical divorce and remarriage. Uh,
1: It does seem odd, like, I think, for how direct and um, how high Jesus sets the bar, uh, like, in in places like the Sermon on the Mount, that he kind of carves out this little... Uh, niche right for right. Uh, in this case it's okay but it is it's a lot more complicated than just saying okay well if she cheats on you then it's like done right, right. um it's uh that word pornea like you mentioned in the greek which uh is used in a lot of other places again in the new testament can mean a number of things and gets used for an, an, in a number of different contexts even in the septuagint um, in uh, the Old Testament essentially translation that these people would have had at the time or would have been reading it's it's used in uh, Leviticus to refer to sexual intercourse between like close relatives so it's it's not it's like a, a, a number of different sexual acts but like the element is obviously there still the same but um, but yeah and, and the interpretation of uh, and, and ex- accepting of uh, divorce in the Christian church, Uh, is all over the map there are still churches that hold to very specifically sort of a no divorce in except in extraordinarily extreme circumstances and there are some that will just say well there it is in the scripture if there's any kind of infidelity then it's over and you have a fresh start you have a clean slate and um, and you know where we take that is that's it's that's kind of a different uh conversation than the one that we're going to be focusing on today but it is it's an important note and, um, yeah. and I think we should, in the interest of time, I think we should move into the next couple of verses.
0: Give me just the disciples' reaction. I'm just like, ha, a- Yeah,
1: <laughs> a- It's the disciples' reaction too, right? Okay. This is not the Pharisees responding here. This is the right. disciples who are listening to him responding. Right. Um, and that's, that's an important note. It's not like he kind of turns to his, his people and mm-hmm. is like kind of addressing that. And they're like, they're immediately like, oh, how are we going to do this? Uh, mm-hmm. They say... And verse 10, the disciples said to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry.
0: All right, so pause there. So again, remember context. The, the assumption was to be a faithful Jew, you got married, be inappropriate, right? That being barren, being single for a lifetime, being celibate, a source of shame, cultural shame, personal shame, you're putting at risk the covenant like, you know, and so, what they're not saying is, hmm, interesting, Jesus. Well, then maybe I'll consider singleness, things, right? Uh, not, what, not what they're getting at here. What they're saying is, like, being sick, passing on marriage and procreation. that's basically a death sentence. But being truly married for a lifetime without an out, like you're suggesting Jesus, that's even worse. Right? So like we <laughs> like, a way to, like, get at this. Um, it, like they it would like, they're being facetious here, right? They're they're, they're it's a little comedy in this. What they're trying to get at is say, like, your suggestion, Jesus, of this high standard of marriage is so ridiculous that it would be better to <laughs> like do. What no one would ever be, which to be single for a lifetime, right? But, like, it's not about them seriously considering singleness, right? Another way, like you could, you could hear this that might like help our ears get a sense of what's going on here is if they had said, like. Oh, Jesus, if, if, if lifelong marriage is really lifelong marriage, then it would be better to just cut my genitals off and be a eunuch for the rest of my life. <laughs>
1: right? As a joke. Which sound, right again, sounds absurd to these people. They're not being serious. Right? No circumstances. Oh, they're no. not being serious. Okay.
0: So that's the disciples' reaction. Incredulous. You funny Jesus. You must be watching the G-series. Okay. And okay. what did Jesus say back?
1: Uh, at verse 11, but he said to them, not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this receive it. Yeah.
0: Okay, <laughs> so Jesus <laughs> So the disciples the, 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 the are like, You crazy, Jesus, because, like, you know, you funny. Um, and Jesus, is like, and they suggest this, like, Well, if that's the case. It'd be better for me to just be, you know, the, the, the laughingstock of my community and a source of great shame and just be single for a lifetime. <laughs> and Jesus says, Well, actually, no, you mentioned this. Yeah. <laughs> um, he says, not everyone can accept this. The idea is, that the understanding is this, he's referring to is this this high standard of marriage and divorce, remarriage. Um, you see, not everyone can accept this high standard um, of, of, of marriage, uh, lifetime faithfulness that I'm speaking about. What was what, what is, what is the phrase right after that? Only those who have been given can accept it, or what is it?
1: Uh, let's see. Sorry, I flipped into another translation here. Not everyone can receive the saying, but only those to whom it is given.
0: Yeah, so the understanding here is that this is still just narrowly referring to marriage. It's saying not everyone can accept this high teaching of marriage. Only those who have been given the gift to accept this high teaching of marriage will receive it. And part of the understanding here is saying that not everyone is given the gift of marriage. And you should only step into marriage if you are willing to accept this high calling of lifetime marriage. And if you feel a resistance to the full weight of this lifetime marriage, maybe you don't have to guess and you shouldn't get married. Mm. Okay. okay, then right after that, what does he say? What's the last verse? Can you read it one more time?
1: Uh, yes, he says... Uh, for there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this receive it.
0: Right, okay. So then Jesus says, just started this high standard of marriage, and then now he's responding to their incredible s- suggestion that it might be better to be celibate than to be married truly for a lifetime. And he says, and then there are others so I'm, I'm paraphrasing here. And there are others of you who actually, you should be single for a lifetime. And, and, and so what he says is there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs um, uh, born that way or made eunuchs by others. So in those two circumstances, Jesus is talking about literal eunuchs. He's saying there are these people who, um, who often, as a way to humiliate them, punish them because they've been captured uh, in war, mural generation is forced upon them um, or, they, or they serve in kind of the, the court of the king and they are made units um, so that there's no possibility for them to mess with the royal bloodline and have sex with the queen um, so, or have sex with the king um, or all the things, all of above. Um, so he's saying, you know, you, you know these little units right? right? So he's, he's prompting in their mind. Um, literal eunuchs. They know what literal eunuchs are. Okay. And he said, then there are some who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom. He's saying, okay, so get this eunuch idea in your mind, which again, they would have seen as a source of shame, failure, humiliation, and Jesus is saying, there are some of you who I'm going to call you to not be literal eunuchs, but to kind of live as if you are a eunuch voluntarily for the sake of the kingdom. Um, those who can accept this should accept this. Which is recognizing not everyone's called to this either, right? He said earlier, not everyone's called to marriage, only those who have been given the gift. He's saying not everyone can accept this teaching about being like a unit for the sake of the kingdom either. Only those who have been given it will be able to accept it. Those who... Have, who can not accept it, should accept it. Um, and just one one last thing about why does he use this word, human? Okay, Because this is a scandalous word. This is like a loaded word. This is like a trigger word for them. So he's not using this lightly or accidentally. It's very intentionally. It's a couple of ways that the church has historically understood why he uses the word um, uh One is it's just to kind of um, continue on with, like, this stark contrast and kind of signaling that this is like an important uh, moment in response to the, 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 his disciples' kind of surprise. Um, two is that being a eunuch was permanent. It was irrevocable. It was irreversible. And so what he's saying is that this kind of alternative to marriage that I'm talking about here, it's a permanent state. It's a permanent Mm-hmm. Um, third perhaps one of the things Jesus is doing here is he, is he is fulfilling the prophecy in Isaiah 56 the promises that with when the Messiah comes under the new covenant the eunuch who is faithful will be glorified and what Jesus is doing here is he's very intentionally he's saying listen y'all this is the Isaiah 56 fulfillment moment this is what I'm talking about here this is how that is being fulfilled. Not in a literal eunuch, but a metaphorical eunuch. The celibate will no longer be a source of shame, but will actually be my A team for bringing forth the human. <laughs> and then the third thing is that eunuchs uh, were kind of like commonly known to like um, some eunuchs, kind of the fancy eunuchs, like, like the fancy days, the fancy eunuchs. Um, who even often, like, you know, chose to become eunuchs because they wanted to serve in the king's court. Like, this is, I didn't realize this until this, like, a while ago, but, like, think of a lot of Disney movies where it's usually, like, the villain, if the villain is, like, the king or the queen of the, of the, of the, of the, of, the, of some kind of kingdom, but, like, their closest advisor is usually kind of this, like, slightly queer-coded... Like male who's a little bit who's like a little shrivelly, you know. Like I think of the I think of Jafar. I think of like the the, the number two guy um, in Mulan to the king, right? Like these were like the number one advisor often from the, for the king was like a Uh Daniel was this, for example. Um, you know, they were a safe advisor because they could never compete with the king's lineage because they couldn't have children. But as a result, they were trusted advisors. But they lived in the king's house. They often outlived the king. They were in some ways more of a patriarch to the king's family and dynasty, sometimes than the king himself And they were very involved in building the kingdom. So in some ways, you could say in a sense of like, this is one of the kings. Like capital T, capital K, the king's eunuchs. As in, we serve in the house of the Lord, those who are live like humans for the sake of the kingdom. We're his trusted, close advisors. We are particularly involved in, in spreading and thriving and building his kingdom. Um, so a couple of things that, that maybe Jesus is trying to do with the, this word, human, but it's, it's, but it's really important. Um, and, and I would say, the last thing I'll say on this is, is at least how, how I understand, how do I know what this passage means? or what I think Jesus intended to say to his first audience and intends to say to us today for me what's most convincing is well how did his first audience interpret how did the first generation of Christians in the first century understand Jesus and Paul to be teaching about this singleness for the sake of the kingdom how did the people that the how did the apostles and the people the apostles disciples and the people that they disciple how did they understand this And the unanimous consensus of the first like three or four centuries of the church is that Jesus and Paul in Matthew 19 and 1 Corinthians 7 and other places are talking about a a lifetime commitment to permanently close the door on romance and marriage and sex and biological children to instead leverage all the time and energy we would have used for, for marriage and children to instead offer that with undivided attention to doing kingdom work the parents might have a hard time finding the time or financial freedom or energy to do. Um, but it's still a call to family and the body of Christ. It's still a call to, um, to human intimacy. Um, so it's not an exchange of human intimacy for more God intimacy. Instead, it's an exchange of the primary kingdom work of marriage and raising kids to instead do the primary kingdom work of of other kingdom work that parents don't have the time or energy to do with a particular kind of focus, um, and and and, and depth and breadth of kingdom work, ages. um, and those permanent. Um, so, all right, I think it's really <laughs>
1: interesting to note here that it's like eschewing the distraction of marriage and family, like, it, it is putting a place of uh, special reverence onto these people that are willing to set aside these what what is almost being treated as like temptations of the flesh or something like that it's it's not it's not saying that like marriage and having children and having sex is necessarily bad or inherently sinful or anything like that but if you can Like rise above it, then you will find yourself in a place that is especially prized in the eyes of God. That's it's such an interesting take because it is so countercultural to not just to what you know what would have been at the time of Jesus, but really to what is today too.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and yeah, wait. I'm not suggesting, and and the early church didn't suggest either that celibacy was better than marriage, or you have to be a super Christian in order to do it. You know, my experience today is that I think faithful Christian marriage and faithful uh, vocational singleness are equally difficult, equally beautiful. Um, what I do know is that attempts to do either without the gift from God to do it well is impossible. Um, and uh, and I think often when we think about what, what's difficult about marriage or difficult about singleness, maybe what, we, what comes to mind are people to walk out
1: one or the other without a gift. Mm-hmm. I think what makes this passage uh, especially difficult to understand is that the the use of the word eunuch it, mm-hmm. it almost it, the language there uh, uh, eunuchizo, I think is the the Greek there as far as the like making yourself a eunuch or someone making you a eunuch is literally to mean like to castrate mm-hmm. and and that is a word that's only used really in the New Testament uh, it, in those specific cases, right It's not used elsewhere and and so it does feel tangible in in David Bentley Hart's translation he says uh, there are some people who geld themselves for the sake of the kingdom, uh, eunuchs who were gelded by men that word being used to, to essentially to castrate. Mm-hmm. But there is a tradition of understanding this passage, like, in, in w- the way you're sort of understanding it is is uh, in a metaphorical way that we see, like, blown out to an extreme in the message translation, where—and, mm-hmm. um, of course, they always do that, right? They do that with everything. Um, in the message, it says, some from birth seemingly never give marriage a thought, others never get asked or accepted, and some decide not to get married for kingdom reasons. I mean, that— to me, feels like a real departure from the tangible language that Jesus is using, but it is—it um, is kind of the I th- like the zoomed-out understanding of, of the message that he's trying to create here. But it's impossible to separate what Jesus is saying here from the physical aspect of like emasculation or, or, or being, you know, in that way, sort of cut off, uh, cutting off that element from, from your body. So I can understand why this passage puzzles so many people, because it, it has to do with marriage, but there is a very physical element to this. And it's a very personal element too.
0: Yeah. And, and I've heard some, uh, I, you know, I think the historic understanding that the first two examples of eunuchs, he's talking about literal eunuchs. Um, and then in the 30s, talking about a metaphorical lie you know, that's the, kind of the most kind of standard historic interpretation. But I definitely have heard from many who hold that still hold that historic interpretation that, that what we could also read in this is that uh, the maybe Jesus is also making a nod to, you know, I'm primarily talking here in in the third example about people who hear a clear call to vocational singleness, volitionally say yes to that call to vocational singleness, who choose to live like a for the sake of you, for the right reasons, all the right reasons. Mm-hmm. But the Jesus is also saying, and I know there's some of you who will find yourselves in lifetime singleness involuntarily, and I, and I, and, and I see you too. Like you, you're not in the dark from me. Like I know you're out there too. Um, I think of you as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. So there's some, so, you know, there's some, some comfort that maybe some people take in the, the, the first and second two literal examples to say, maybe Jesus is also a, a, a little bit there. Um, just giving some, um, um, visibility to the fact that there are people who are single more
1: Yeah. And, and that in that third instance, it's specifically, there's a call, right? There is, uh, you, you you know, there is, there are people in this world who are um, through, you know, through the spirit called for this life. And and that's a beautiful thing too. And it should be understood that way and not necessarily as some kind of a curse, like some of the churches understand.
0: Yeah, and I think, you know, my, my short version is I think it has become functionally in some ways a curse again, um, because particularly since the Protestant Reformation, most churches have just done a really poor job of teaching about the possibility of life long singleness for the setting of the kingdom, and even a poorer job of actually providing like practical support for people to do that well. And I think the biggest support that people need to do that well is intentional Christian communities in which they can actually find family in the body of Christ. Um, and yeah. those are non-existent in most spaces and, and and make functionally vocational singleness a lot harder than so.
1: And, uh, and I see we're out of time, so this would be a perfect opportunity <laughs> for you to tell folks about what it is. Throw a quick plug out there for, for um, what you're actively doing today, and, and maybe th- um, I can put a link in the show notes as well. But if you want to just really quickly tell folks about um, your ministry and and um, about Equip and, and how people can find you.
0: Certainly, yeah. Um, on socials, uh, it's my, my first name, my middle initial, and my last name, so at P-I-E-T-E-R-L, V as in Victor, A-L-K. Um, and also, my personal website is that same handle, peterlvolk.com. And go in any of those places, and you'll find um, some, some particularly on the website, uh, might be easier to search and find, um, some content on, okay, more about this, like, vision, positive vision for a singleness for the sake of the kingdom. Um, how did the early church live that out, particularly in kind of, like, finding community? Um, What's a vision for doing that today? Um, For those who feel like they are kind of in, like, involuntary singleness, um, what does it look like to to name that and try to move out of that in a healthy way? Um, We also find plenty of stuff on there uh, related to my kind of nine-to-five job, which is particularly equipping parents and pastors around... Uh, LGBT plus topics and offering God's love and wisdom to LGBT plus people, which, uh, which we didn't really talk about today. Um, and in, in many ways isn't, you know, directly relevant to, um, to Matthew 19. Um, but I think one way it is super relevant is that, um, um, you know, in, in churches the hold a kind of historic sexual ethic, often they, they, but still aren't teaching about vocational stimulus in the healthiest of ways, Often gay celibate Christians are one of the only groups that kind of seems forced to contemplate, to figure out the reality of lifetime singleness. So they particularly feel the burden of the church's poor teaching and support of vocational singleness. But it actually has nothing to do with the fact that they're they're gay or queer. It has to do with the fact that none of our, our churches are places where anyone called to vocational singleness, regardless of sexual orientation, <laughs> can actually find what they need. Yeah. They just happen to be the a population that's particularly feeling that hurt. And so I think a big part of the solution in our churches, being places where gay people can thrive according to God's wisdom, um, is retrieving uh, early church teaching and support of vocational singles for everybody. And I think the solution is also going to have to involve a meaningful number of straight people choosing, uh, accepting uh, a call to vocational singles as well um so so yeah lots more about that on all those spaces um feel free to reach out to me also directly on direct messages and whatnot I'm happy to answer any, any more questions about this passage uh, and others.
1: well peter thank you for joining me again this is a this is a really fun conversation i hope we get the chance to talk again sometime
0: yeah you're welcome and i'm really uh, grateful for the opportunity
1: this week's poem is by dylan thomas our unique dreams all seedless in the light Of light and love the tempters of the heart Whack their boys' limbs And winding footed in their shawl and sheet Groom the dark brides the widows of the night Fold in their arms The shades of girls all flavored from their shrouds When sunlight goes are sundered from the worm The bones of men the broken in their beds By midnight pulleys that unhouse the tomb. In this our age, the gunman and his maul, two one-dimensional ghosts, love on a reel, strange to our solid eye, and speak their midnight nothings as they swell. When cameras shut, they hurry to their hole down in the yard of day. They dance between their arc lamps and our skull, impose their shots, showing the night's away. We watch the show of shadows kiss or kill Flavored of celluloid, give love the lie. Which is the world of our two sleepings which shall fall awake when cures in their itch raise up this red eyed earth? Back off the shapes of daylight and their starch, the sunny gentleman, the welshing rich, or drive the night geared forth. The photograph is married to the eye, grafts on its bride one sided skins of truth. The dream has sucked the sleeper of his faith That shrouded men might marrow as they fly This is the world The lying likeness of our strips of stuff That tatter as we move Loving and being loth. The dream that kicks the buried from their sack And lets their trash be honored as the quick This is the world Have faith For we shall be a shouter like the cock Blowing the old dead back our shots shall smack the image from the plates and we shall be fit fellows for a life and who remains shall flower as they love praise to our faring hearts thanks everybody i found the picture that we took
0: on your neck, the namesake of your outfits,